60 to 70% of people doing any type of side lateral raise are doing them incorrectly. They're doing them in ways Dang. that are working their traps, their triceps, even their upper backs. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, and we had Gary on, was it maybe two months ago? And Gary made a great point. He said, you shouldn't be trying to get the dumbbells up. You should be trying to get the dumbbells out to the wall. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Getting your arms out as wide as possible. And I think everyone wants to try to use 35, 40, 50, 70 pound dumbbells and make it look like they're using a lot of weight. It doesn't take a lot of weight to, to, to correctly activate the medial deltoid. Like yeah. I can get a great pump with 20s. You know, one, one of the workouts me and Meadows used to do was um we would literally just take either 15 or 20 pound dumbbells and we would do sets of 20 and just pass them back and forth and so your rest time was the time for your partner to go okay back and forth you do five sets of that you get 100 reps in and your arms your, your shoulders are sco- screaming like they're they're so full of blood they're ready yeah. to burst and if you're doing it correctly especially with someone like him watching you you're not you're not getting any tract activation What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with coaches Skip Hill, Andrew Berry, and myself, Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK for additional savings, high-quality third-party tested supplements from a company that you can trust. We are brought to you by supplementsource.ca for Canadians. And of course, we are brought to you by you. Thank you, everybody, from Patreon. You guys are helping to make this thing happen. Of course, you can reach out to any of us for coaching, bodyberry.com, teamskip.com, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. We've got a fun topic lined up. You guys have been enjoying the body part uh, conversations we've had. We wanted to talk about shoulder training. We're going to talk more than just like what exercises, though. It's where to put shoulders in your routine. I thought that was a a really good idea, Andrew, that you mentioned about, you know, because where are, where do shoulders go? I, they, they can be on their own. You could put them easily with a push day. You know, there's a lot of things you could do with shoulders. Yeah, I mean, I think, and we've all probably done it many different ways. Like, you know, when I first started bodybuilding, it was, you know, you train legs day one, you train chest day two, you train back day three, you train shoulders day four, and then you train your arms on day five. And then if you needed a touch-up day, you did something on day six, and you on the seventh day, just like the Lord, you rested, right? Yeah. Um, and then, like, you know... Then like the high intensity training really hit the scene, you know, I think whether it's Mike Menser or, you know, um, Dante Trudell with, you know, um, DC training, people started grouping body parts together and, you know, a very popular, you know, training regimen today would be push pull legs, right? And your push muscles, you know, your chest, your shoulders and your triceps are usually trained together. But then there's also like some divergence as people become more um, specific to their own training needs, the, the you know, the, the gaps in their physique, what they need to address. And people break up their shoulder training a little differently. You know, sometimes people will do, say, they'll call a push day chest and some shoulders, and they might do, say, front deltoid, uh, you know, front and, and medial deltoids, and then save the rear deltoids to be added in to uh, back training right? Some people will do say a shoulder only day and then maybe some extra rear delts on one of the other days. So there's a million different ways you can break it up because shoulders are just kind of one of those odd body parts, right? It's like one of the only joints that you can do every single plane of movement in. You can do pressing, you can do, you know, uh, you you can do raises in three or, well, you can actually do raises in almost 
trying to think, uh, 180 degrees. If you think about it, you can almost do raises straight out from the back. People that are mm-hmm. watching online, I'm trying to trying to go straight out from behind me with my my hand tucked way behind myself. Yeah. But yeah, so the shoulders are definitely an interesting muscle group compared to say legs. You know, legs you can either do legs together, or you can break up your quads or your hams differently. Shoulders you could really put them in anywhere. So we're, I'll tell you what I do. Like right now, you know, in me and Nate's training split. We have a um, push day and our push day comprised of um, predominantly chest. And then we add in two or three shoulder movements focusing on the front and medial delts. And then on our back day, usually one to two days later, we will add in about five sets of rear delt movements. So, um, and then we usually hit them uh, usually every four to five days. So we're getting some delt activity every four to five days, if you look at it that way. So do you have a you separate guys? shoulder day on top of that? Or is that only no. that is the shoulder training? Yeah, okay, that's what I figured. Because my answer is yeah. going to be boring. It's the same. Okay. <laughs> oh, and okay. I got off early, early in my training years with that because I had a torn labrum. I still do. But a torn labrum from playing baseball. And I wanted it. Shoulders are weak. I have narrow clavicles, narrow shoulders. They're horrible. So I wanted to train them on their own, but it just would hurt it, mm. and it didn't feel even left to right. So the only way it took me a few years to find, I was pr- find out and really stay set on following uh, chest with shoulders, but I really don't have much of a choice. These days I can go in and I can do that. But the reality is, is in, and some people will have this problem too. It becomes a recovery issue primarily for front delts because if you're hitting chest hard and that's a priority and then you come in and you bomb shoulders especially front delts you're going to end up you're very likely to end up with overtrained front delts and that's going to not only impact your your recovery and your progress for shoulders but it's going to dig into your chest you know workouts as well primarily the incline but depending on the exercises you're doing it can impact you know damn near everything so there are a few things over the years that I have stuck to 99% of the time, and that's one of them. And, and I do the same thing. I follow up delt, or, uh, back with rear delts. Hmm. I, uh, I've, I've done a few different things with shoulders. Initially, doing uh, like the five-day one-body part split. Looking back at that, I almost feel like shoulders and arms were kind of a deload day. You know what I mean? Because it's mm-hmm. a smaller body part. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, if you, you you can hit. I mean, those first three days in a in that kind of traditional bro split, chest, back, legs, like you're just going hard, hard, hard. And then shoulders is like, eh, you know, you got some overhead press in there. That's a compoundy movement, but it's still mm-hmm. no you know heavy chest press, right? Uh, but I would go real heavy and real hard with that on its own. I started dealing with some some shoulder issues, and later I found out that it was really from tight pecs. And because I was dealing mm-hmm. with tight pecs, I was getting like a lot of pain. But of course, that pain's in the shoulder, right? So I thought, oh, it's my shoulder that's bothering me. I'm having an issue with my shoulder. No, it was bicep tendonitis. Anyway, mm-hmm. I um, I stopped training shoulders for like eight months. I didn't do any direct shoulder work. Nothing changed. Like my shoulders didn't change at all. In fact, it kind of repositioned my thought on shoulders that I used to, before that, I would go really, really hard, you know, and go really heavy as hard as I could with shoulder training. And after that, I've kind of thought, God, if they really weren't going to shrink, considering I do all my, 
all my pressing movement, they're getting activated doing so many other things, then maybe I just have to make sure I, I get them in there, you know, put them mm -hmm. at the tail end of my, my back work or the, the tail end of my chest work, put rear delts at the tail end of my back work. And that's, that's going to mm -hmm. be enough for me. Um, so that mm -hmm. it, it's kind of been an evolution from having lifted as absolute much as I possibly could with overhead press to now, like just making sure I get them in there and they never suffered, you know, that was still competing at the time and they, they never suffered <clears throat> backed off. That said, you do see the people that, that have a struggle to grow their delts. For me, I was kind of one of those shoulder dominant guys. You know, I, I used my shoulders before I used my chest when I was bench pressing. So they grew really well, real quick. Um, you do have guys who I think of, uh, Guy Chris that I'm working with. Uh, you know, he needs to grow everything still at this point. But for him, the shoulders really stick out. He wants to grow his delts, and they, they definitely are not a strong body part for him. What do you think about learning how to get the proper like activation you see it with girls too you know what i mean you see girls that like girls that have an inability to get their delts to cap whatsoever and i for me i want to hear your thoughts for me a lot of it has been that maybe they're not getting activation like in that lateral raise they're not they're not getting it right you know they're maybe well, using their traps or they're doing something you know something different first and foremost i i think like 60 to 70% of people doing any type of side lateral raise are doing them incorrectly. They're doing them in ways Dang. that are working their traps, their triceps, even their upper backs. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and we had Gary on, was it maybe two months ago? And Gary made a great point. He said, you shouldn't be trying to get the dumbbells up. You should be trying to get the dumbbells out to the wall. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Getting your arms out as wide as possible. And I think everyone wants to try to use 35, 40, 50, 70 pound dumbbells and make it look like they're using a lot of weight. It doesn't take a lot of weight to, to, to correctly activate the medial deltoid. Like yeah. I can get a great pump with 20s. You know, one, one of the workouts me and Meadows used to do was um, we would literally just take either 15 or 20 pound dumbbells and we would do sets of 20 and just pass them back and forth. And so your rest time was the time for your partner to go okay. back and forth. You do five sets of that, you get a hundred reps in and your arms, your, your shoulders are screaming. Like they're, they're so full of blood, they're yeah. ready to burst. And if you're doing it correctly, especially with someone like him watching you, you're not, you're not getting any tract activation. You're not, you're not doing any of this heaving or this because every rep had to be completely perfect. And if yeah. you had to stop and take three seconds to catch your breath, then, then that's what you did. So you could uh, do the rep completely correctly again uh, yeah. to get your 20. Um, so I think, you know, if the majority of people cut their weight and we could say this about almost every exercise, but if they cut their weight and really focused on, okay, am I feeling, and you can usually see it. You can usually see the trap contract yes. when someone is doing it incorrectly, especially if they're lean and you're standing behind them. It's always a great test when some, you have a client in that's in contest shape or they're, they're close to it and they're doing it because you can just see the traps flexing and firing over and over again. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa hold, on, hold on. And you show them, you know, depress the shoulder blades a little bit. Okay. Get those arms out, get your knuckles out as wide as you possibly can. Don't worry about trying to come up too high. You know, yeah. I think that's another thing. People try to get them gonna, up too high any way possible. Oops, right. And I, and I want to piggyback off that because you touched on, you, you said it. this one key thing, depressing the scapula, <clears throat> yeah. the, the traps. And I just want to clarify, cause I'm not, I don't think you're explaining it incorrectly, but I think it gets explained in such vague terms or it's not explained in enough detail for people to understand. I'm going to argue that the traps always work. They work as a stabilizer. Sure. 
And I figured you'd agree. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to minimize, minimize or remove, though it's very difficult to do, any type of rise of the scapula. Because as the scapula comes up, that's where the, the trap and arguably the rhomboids, because they're essentially going to one, they're not going to work one. One's not going to work with the other not working. So mm-hmm. any type of movement, then any movement, movement up and or in is going to be more trap work. Now, I've heard a, a top who I consider to be a top coach, up and coming coach. And you guys know I don't listen to podcasts, but I've started listening more to this guy because I love what he says. Very passive aggressive when he does confront people who come on the the podcast, but he does know his shit. And you know what? I'll say this. He doesn't want to be terribly confrontational. He doesn't want to be a a dick. And and I can't fault him for that. Can you tell us who it is? I don't have a problem. No, I don't want, I I don't want to out of respect because I don't want to, um, but a lot of people would consider him a, a, a very good knowledge. I'll tell you when we get done. And uh, he was arguing the stabilizer component of, um, you know, the traps. He was primarily on a rear delt move, which is Mm -hmm. another argument, you know, as well. And a good one, a good debate, I guess Mm -hmm. I should say. So anyway, the key, you you mentioned uh, Gary talking about taking the, you know, the weights or or the hands out to the side, like literally like you're trying to move the dumbbell to the to a wall that's beside yeah, you out, versus out, out. raising them. They're going to go up. Try to get that dumbbell mm-hmm. to the wall. They're going to come up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Doug Crochet was on, and he, he said the same thing. He agreed completely. I think he even said that he had picked up that note from Charles Glass as well. So there is good instruction there. And in doing that and focusing on taking them to the side, you are going to minimize that the scapula moving. And that, that's really the only other point that I wanted to make was this. <clears throat> to back up what Scott was saying, back in the 80s, a lot of shoulder, uh, there was a lot of shoulder pressing. It was predominantly what you did for shoulders. You did military and you oh, also yeah. did behind the neck. And and mm-hmm. I think it's important for people to know that the behind the neck press done correctly from a mechanical standpoint is actually a side, pr- predominantly a side delt movement where when the bar is in front or the elbows can come a little bit closer and they're not as flared, then as that elbow comes in, the the front delt wants to take over a little bit more. That's why I do think one of my favorite movements, and and I hit front delts only every other shoulder session because they just get pummeled for, for chest work. And I don't have great recovery in that area, and I don't have great shoulders. So there's that. So I'm trying to maximize that, of course, by keeping the volume down. And, it, and it'll go in a few weeks if I take the volume up. But one of the exercises that I like the most is the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the neutral grip overhead machine press. Okay, mm-hmm. neutral grip. And the like reason I there. and the reason I want to finish with that is some people will say, well, I like to use dumbbells. I like to use dumbbells in a situation like that. If I'm opening with it, but not if I'm closing. If I'm closing, I don't want to have to balance it out too much. And it's important for me because I have narrow shoulders. And if you have wider shoulders and it doesn't work for you, that's great. But the full lockout is important for me uh, because of the contraction at the top. Where other And it's the same way for me for behind the neck press. Okay. If I leave it out and I only go with three quarters or you know, seven eighths or two thirds, whatever you want to call it, uh, the non-lockout pressing like I might do on chest for dumbbell presses, something like that, or a bench press. If you're, you know, for those who still do bench press, um, that can be a good strategy. But if you have 
short clavicles or narrow shoulders, try that lockout because that lockout can be a game changer as far as getting blood in there and the contraction in that top position. Yeah. I I, find- oh, and, and I didn't get the second part. I, and let me oh, just say this real quick. The, yeah. I'm sorry, because I, I kind of was all over the place as usual. But back in the 80s, there was a lot more pressing. Then as time has gone by, and especially <laughs> recently, most people, I think, would agree that the lateral movements done correctly and with you know control there's 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 a fine line in there because you can be too light and it can just not be much of a stimulus and pump doesn't always you know grow it's not directly can you know uh connected to hypertrophy and and the best possible optimal growth but that those movements are now predominantly what we rely on and what we've come to see provide more growth for the shoulders than all that pressing we would do. I mean, if I had to guess, it'd be a, a 75-25 where everything was pressing and then all oh, you throw in some laterals, you know, back in the 80s and in the early 90s. Yeah, and you, it's kind of like, a, the muscle group. It's yeah. like a secondary thing, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, I tell myself two things. Number one, I tell myself when I'm doing a, a lateral raise, I want to keep my chest up. You know, you, in, in, when we're talking about people who are getting too much traps, I think of... I think back to like the Branch Warren style of lateral raises where you're just like hunched over the dumbbells and you're kind of bringing them up like that and you're just pinching, you know, at the top. I want to keep my body more upright and I don't really have a big bend in my arms. I, I just part of it, too, is I don't go super heavy with it like I, I would have in the past. But I mean, do you ever do the real heavy lateral raises back in the day, Skip? Like, do you ever get like the 45s, 55s, 65s? Sure. And, and got no, absolutely nothing right. out of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's one of the things I do. But I'll, I'll tell you what. So as much as the after I did tear my supraspinatus a couple of years ago, um, after that, I decided like as much as overhead press may be beneficial i don't want to like get perfect form with it i like I, I keep my range of motion real short i don't know what you guys do but i only come down to the point where my i guess my upper arm is parallel to the floor i'm i'm about like right here is my lowest i never bring the dumbbells like all the way down to there and i like dumbbells too because it's more neutral that way because the bar i get that too far in front of me i don't know about you guys but like you were saying skip you feel like with the bar it's more of that front delt thing that just tears me up so dumbbells i can kind of set them back a little bit and the lowest i really go is i guess to my ears maybe my hands come down yeah i always say nose but ears or nose i mean your ears are next to your nose so there you go we're in the same ballpark and especially with behind the neck press a lot of people are against that movement and you may not have the, the flexibility in your shoulders and okay but you can also build the flexibility in your shoulders by literally starting with the bar and throwing, you know, on a Smith machine or something, you know, tens and, and, uh, you know, quarters and going from there and build that. And quite frankly, I think it's great for rotator, for the rotators for Hmm. that flexibility. If you're so tight that you can't get a bar behind your head down to what would be nose level, I'd question your, your, a little bit of your flexibility throughout your shoulders. Um, Another thing too, that I think is really important for, Shoulder development is side laterals from different angles. And I'll just give you an example. You can do side laterals for the side delts on what is essentially a 45 degree uh, incline lying into it. But the shoulders need to be pulled 
backer the chest needs to be high and driven into the to the bench and you need to watch the angle of pull because i've always said this so i'll say it again there is a front part to the side delt and a rear part to the side delt and i'm not talking about rear delts and i'm not talking about front delts the point is the way that muscle fans and where it connects at the top is so wide that if you lean into at an angle into an incline bench and it can be higher than that i do them higher too but i'm making making the point with the 45 degree angle that most people would be like oh my gosh it's going to be a rear delt movement it's the angle of pull it's the rotation at the shoulder uh, and when i say rotation not throughout but from the top to the bottom of the movement and unfortunately i can't demonstrate it right now but i could demonstrate it in the gym which is going to be part of just one fine example of the YouTube information that I'm going to start putting out again consistently for training because these things I think are sometimes missed or they're not discussed discussed enough that they're well known. The angles on a multi-angle joint, the angles that you train are incredibly important because there's a myriad of, of angles in there. And if you do them lying into an incline bench like that and you do them relatively strict, it's going to blow up the back part of the side delt. And then you're gonna realize, oh my goodness. And that's my hang up. The reason I came to that was because that was my hang up for people standing too upright or slightly leaning back. And that's what people do when when they go heavy. And all that does is if you're upright or you're slightly leaning back, then that pushes the stress more to the front of the delt. And where is everyone the strongest? I mean, 90% of people, they're stronger and they have better development in the front part of the delt. And that can be even in the front part of the side delt. So I think if you're having a problem with size and you're having a problem with roundness from the side, you need to focus on rear delts and the back part of your side delts. And the back part of your side delts is an angle issue for when you're pulling. And another fine example, like you were saying about Branch Warren starting at the bottom, a lot of times they started bent over because the dumbbells were so heavy that they needed to fling them up and get momentum. But if if you stay leaned over like that, but you stay leaned over throughout the entire movement and you do uh, a side lateral take it you literally hold your arm out doing it without a dumbbell and look into the mirror and you're like oh goodness if the back of the palm of your hand is parallel with the floor you're gonna see oh my god you don't pull to the rear you go with the side lateral motion i can see but that you're leaned in yeah, yeah i could see that and i can see that for sure them up because the, the, it's you're not used to that part of the side delt getting nailed and it will just in two sets you'll be like oh my god you'll literally feel the contraction at the top of the movement if you try to raise your arm up without a dumbbell it's like flexing a bicep but it's flexing your side delt the reason i know exactly what you're talking about about that front part and rear part of the lateral delt is because of doing shots like because i i'll move that delt around and you'll see that seam right in the middle and I don't yeah. want to stick it right in there. You know what I mean? I go right. a little forward or a little behind uh-huh. it. <laughs> yep. It's like there's all these strands yeah. of yeah. side delt down there. And it's like, yeah, it, it, injections are a good example because you don't want to keep hitting the same one. You want to vary that. I say there's there's four main areas of the side delt to hit <laughs> with an injection. Biggest mistake I made was not paying close enough attention to doing my side delts. And as I got bigger, my flexibility went down. And before you know it, I was doing lateral delt shots and they just hurt so bad. And then I looked in the mirror and realized, oh, I'm pinning my front delt. <laughs> right. I swear to God yeah. that happened. It looks yeah. like Andrew's having some some computer issues. He uh, 
he may or may not have to uh, call us. He's trying to get, I guess his computer won't charge. So he said he may be disappearing. Let me pull this one up and, and see if we have anything for it. Um, highly sensitive to retaining water. He says, in a prep scenario, would there be any harm uh, besides lost libido of not using any test for that reason and only go with things like trend and mast? Or would there always be a baseline of tests, say 125 milligrams a week? Well, my first question to his question would be, why? Why are you highly sensitive to retaining water? I could assume that he means he's highly sensitive to, to retaining water while on testosterone, but maybe that's not why. Then the second question is, are you controlling estrogen? Then from there, it's hard to to answer his question of leaving tests out. Look, I don't, I'm not a fan of it at all. But at the same time, if you feel that that's what you're having issues with and it's a constant problem, you know, I even ask how lean you are, because if you're holding water from tests, if you're lean, you shouldn't be holding much water. But if you're not lean, you're going to hold more water on any compound that's going to make you hold water. Um, you can be super lean and on Anadrol and you will look ridiculous there you see what i did with that that was a different r word a better r word <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm advancing my vocabulary and i'm very consciously aware of this redonkulous so there's me, another good it's one taking me some time redonkulous yeah um so you take it out take it out see how you feel if you don't like how you feel you better get it back in there and find out what the problem is if it's getting leaner if it's controlling estrogen uh diet what what whatever there may be something else in there could it also be that he thinks he's holding water the day of the show because of what he did with carbohydrate and fat manipulation? Yeah, I, I wonder about the food. Sure. There's so so much to it that we don't did know. Did he say we, show? If I missed that, I apologize. He I did said not, prep scenario. Yeah, that's prep scenario. okay. All right. Because I'm wondering this because we've all seen this where – Actually, one of one of these buddies, one of my buddies, we were training with this weekend. He was having an issue because his coach didn't listen to him when he said, "No, I'm plenty full. I'm starting to go backwards, and I'm spilling now." Mm. And he showed up on stage being really watery, right, compared to what he how he looked the Wednesday and Thursday before the show. And his yeah. coach just kept on blasting him with 800 grams of carbs a day. And you know, you know, I don't like to interject and say, "Well, this is what I would have done." So we kind of came, but we had this conversation. It was like, so do you think if you would have pulled your food back to say protein and fat meals for most of Friday, because everyone's afraid to not carb up on Friday. Right. Yeah. And right. Like it doesn't feel like prep if you're not eating more food than you should on a Friday. I'm like, wouldn't the competent thing to do do be to do to say, pull those carbs out and for at least two, three, maybe even four meals and then see how you're looking and then maybe reintroduce them for a meal right before bed. You know, right. um, I, cause I, I just think as coaches, especially young coaches, they get married into this, well, we need to carb people up really hard before the show. Yeah. And rather than knowing your athlete and how they look, say one day, two days, three days after a refeed of sorts. Uh-oh. I think his battery died, but he makes a good point. <laughs> I think he's frozen on us. I think, I think he just is gone, but this is the last we see of Andrew. We'll see if he calls us back. Well, I told him, I was like, well, just call us on your phone yeah. if it comes down to it. But yeah, I, I wonder, just though. I'll piggyback off what he said. Is that where you're going? You're going to well, uh, go ahead. Piggyback off him. Go. Well, no, I say that's. that's... <laughs> 
all of a sudden it just goes downhill. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so piggybacking off of what he said uh, from the carbs and everything else, um, and especially that last day before the show. Now, when he said prep, I still don't know if he's peaking or if he's just into his prep and he's holding water. I'm not real sure. But from a peak standpoint, once you start to move water on a Friday and you're starting to dry, especially later in the day, and this is where I'm going to piggyback off of what Andrew was saying, adding those carbs in later in the day after keeping them out and you're starting to move water and you're getting dry, then putting in the carbs, it's the only way you're going to spill at that point is if you are already so full that you're just, you have no fullness left to gain and, and the carbs have nowhere to go. So then you have, you know, higher blood sugar levels and it's running around with no place to go. Right. If there's any space or any storage available for the carbohydrate as you're drying, you're just going to get drier. Yeah. Because the, the, it, you know, the carbs are combining with a good ratio and a good amount of water to store as glycogen. So, it's very difficult to, unless you're spilling, to start getting watery. There's also the inflammation component. I, I have to wonder, like I say, sometimes these these questions require more questions. So yeah. what is he, what carbs are he lo- is he loading with? Is he loading with carbs that he's familiar with and his body's familiar with so that there's not an inflammation issue, there's not a GI issue, uh, you know, FODMAP, all, all these things that can get in the way and cause some sort of water retention. Or is he just holding water, like I said, halfway through the, to the prep and he's not getting lean enough and he feels that that's the issue. That's yeah. It's a difficult one to figure out. The thing I wanted to bring up was that, you know, as a coach, uh, you know, doing this for whatever, 14 years and full time for the last seven or eight, I can't think of a single time where I've said like, oh man, we have to pull test out because test is causing you to hold too much water ever. I mean, not one time. And I wanted to ask you guys, have you ever had that happen? I don't know that I haven't, but it's been so incredibly infrequent and I don't even know that there was a change to it as an example then we'll skip why would you pull it out because maybe we can't figure out what's going on so we're kind of making decisions to see what the reaction is yeah um but it's it's so uncommon and you know I'm going back 20 years I a handful I mean it's that it's that small of an amount super infrequent it's probably Uh, it's probably one out of every 100 preps that that crosses yeah, my yeah, mind is go. the thing yeah. to do. Yeah. All right. We got Andrew back. What's up, man? Yeah, dude. I'm having, I think the wall socket like did something because I was powered up and I was still had my computer plugged in. And then all of a sudden I look up and it's like 10% and it's blinking at me. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then I noticed that the wall socket is not powering anything now. And yeah, so that's where we're at. So I had to run and grab my phone and plug it in and all that stuff. Okay. We did have some more stuff related to shoulders um, while we were talking about that. Um, where was that? Alfonso brought a question in. He said, outside of bodybuilding, would you say that athletes don't really need direct shoulder or arm work if they are incorporating sufficient pull and pushing compound movements? Um, thinking about starting my son, he's 12, um, and he does ice hockey on a full body and just focus on compounds in the 10 to 15 rep range. 
I think absolutely you need to do some baseline work for, for other muscle groups, even though they're not directly related. And here's why. You, you don't want to develop inconsistencies in strength um, to where it could injure a certain body part. Like, I'll give you a quick example because I'm experiencing it. All of us bodybuilders, we do a lot of adductor work, right? But we, as guys, we don't do a lot of abduction. And I was getting a lot of lower back pain, particularly, I think, near the piriformis, maybe the psoas area. And it just popped in my head, okay, you've been doing so much adduction lately, you need to do some abduction to support that. And sure enough, I added it in, back pain goes away, it's become a staple in our routine now. So in the same idea, let's say your son's playing football, you're doing a lot of pushing movements, you're pushing away from the body with football. You might be overdeveloping your triceps and your front delts to where the bicep can now be a point of weakness, or it could be creating uh, tendonitis, or it could be causing some other issue that you might say, start thinking, oh, my shoulder's hurting. Well, as you pointed out, Scott, you had an intense bicep tendonitis that you were attributing to shoulder pain. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought it was. Tight yeah, pecs, so tight pecs. I would, yeah, tight pecs, bicep tendonitis, um, resulting in what feels like shoulder pain. So I think just to not create any discrepancies in strength, you need to do some baseline work. You know, in his case, probably some bicep curls, maybe some um, inverted rows, stuff like that. What do you think, Skip? He was asking about uh, his 12-year-old son uh, and just athletes in general. So his son is a a hockey player, ice hockey, and he said, you know, do you need to do direct arm and shoulder work if you're doing, you know, like all the compound lifts? Do you have to? I didn't hear what Andrew said other than the tail end, so I'm not real sure if we're going to. Here's the thing. I mean, first I would say why not? But is it necessary? Um, you know, it may not be necessary. He's 12 years old. Doesn't he want big arms? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to put myself in a 12-year-old position. I mean, come on. You're going to get yeah. the chicks with big arms. Get if I'm lifting weights at 12, I'm definitely training biceps yeah. at least every other mm-hmm. workout. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is it necessary? I mean, with the strong – I've said before, you guys have heard me. Listeners probably have too, but for those who haven't, <clears throat> what, the more advanced you get, I understand that a 12-year-old isn't as advanced. The more advanced you get, I think a lot of your heavier pressing and pulling is contributing to uh, arm size you know, quite a bit. Whether that happens in the, the early stages, I mean, if you're, I don't know how he's training. I don't know if he's training from a, his 12-year-old with bodybuilding exercises or if they're more strength um, you know, power movements, but if they're more strength and power movements, then, then there's going to be a lot of secondary work there for the tries and, and the buys anyway, with rowing, uh, chins, you know, bench pressing, overhead pressing, things like that. I mean, you can't go wrong with a 12 year old by keeping it simple and putting in power movements. And, and if his dad knows what he's doing and he has a background with these movements, then it's best that you teach him the correct way before he learns the incorrect way yeah. from potentially a coach uh, at school, a football coach who may not know what's going on or a wrestling coach or his bros. His bros are going to be thrown around when they're young. They're going to be thrown around as much weight as they can with poor mechanics. So teach him the form and the mechanics the correct way. And if you can't, get somebody who can because that'll give him a head start, not only for progress, but for not you know, causing imbalances like Andrew was saying and also uh, to keep him injury free. Okay. Let me see what else we have here. Um, this one was from Patreon. Uh, Johan said, um, I have a question. Uh, he says, uh, 
It's a general workout question, so I'll let you decide where it would be best suited. I think that'll fit in perfectly here. Um, I've heard from multiple sources that smaller muscle groups can handle a higher frequency and still recover. I'm currently doing a push-pull leg split and currently have some extra room in my leg days. Um, what do you guys think about occasionally throwing in an exercise or two for buys and tries at the end of my leg day? Uh, that way, arms get hit two days in a row and uh, a day of rest on my push or pull session where I'm not, where it's not getting trained. So his arms will be trained three days actually yeah. out of the week. Yeah, that's so what I was getting thinking hit too. Directly twice, and then they're getting pounded on the the chest and back and shoulder days. Um, and he says arms are an area in. he wants to bring up. That was the other. Yeah, thing he does. It, it, but in reality, it's probably not from a lack of training. It could be. Uh, but in you know, my experience has said that the vast majority of people who don't have arm, not everybody, not everyone. But the vast majority of people who don't have good arm de development, it's not from a lack of work. It could be from a lack of intensity, but it's a lack of work, and it could be a recovery issue. So I would argue that the smaller muscle groups recovering is too much of a blanket statement. I don't consider biceps and triceps small muscle groups. I consider intercostals a small muscle group or <laughs> or anterior tibialis or, or arguably maybe abs. Abs will recover quicker. Calves will recover quicker. Um, but I, I don't see it that I, I would question your intensity first. If the intensity is there, I'd back off. And that is not what he wants to hear. I would train them less frequently and watch if they don't mm -hmm. get stronger and grow. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Andrew? Got, got nothing to add. I don't yeah. have much to add to that. I mean, I, that's kind of what I would say. Um, the only thing I think of, are you guys familiar? I can't remember the name of it, but there's one. I don't think it was a bodybuilding coach. I think it was a strength coach. And so it's more of a strength application thing. He would have his athletes train a body part every single day. So if it was a very weak muscle group, let's say like the rear delts, they would do rear delts every single day. Hmm. And there is some size to be gained from that. I don't think it's something you can do for the end of, till the end of time. Yeah. I think it's something you can do for a short period of time, maybe a month, maybe six, seven, eight weeks tops. And it's something you can probably do once and not go back to over and over again. Um, and, and the example used was bicep curls. <laughs> Coincidentally, it made me think after hearing this question. And I think the person did put an inch on their arms. Now, is that related to inflammation at the time of testing because it was full of blood and it was just so inflamed from all the training? Who yeah. knows, you know? Um, but the person did get stronger, which I thought, you know, there's no way. If I'm training my biceps every day, there's no way I'm going to be strongest, you know, 60 days in as I was day one because it, it hasn't had a time to, to, to recover, you know? Um, so I, I, I don't know. I question that, you know, the, the strategy I brought up, and I agree with Skip. I, I just felt... Bring it up a, an aside like that. If someone wants to try it, let us know how it goes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right that, like, if you were going to try that, maybe just do it for a month, you know? See what happens. For me, I know what will happen. My elbow tendonitis. Like, I'll get some crazy tennis elbow two weeks in or ten days in, and then I'll mm -hmm. be telling you guys all about it and complaining, you know? Mm -hmm. Here's another thing that you guys, like, when you describe recovery to people, how do you guys describe it? Uh, it's quite a nuanced, complicated. This could be a topic in itself. <laughs> well, it could be. Uh, yeah, I mean, at its core, this is a tough question to answer. At its core, and and simplistically, 
It's the ability to cause the stimulus, enough of a stimulus to provide uh, or to force adaptation. And then the the adaptation phase is the recovery phase. So it's what is maximizing recovery? It's enough time to recover and progress and, and be able to grow arguably again, and, you know, increasing reps and or strength within bodybuilding rep ranges, uh, but which is difficult to calculate or to analyze if you're focused on time under tension versus progressive overload from a weight and rep standpoint. Um, it's, that's a tough one. That's I'll answer, <laughs> I'll, my real simple answer would be I'm feeling strong and ready to do it again. Okay. You know? Yeah. But, I mean, that's... Which would assume I probably wasn't sore thing. anymore, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, And then I'm you go in and that actually like, happens. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking more from like a like a simple, easy conceptual thing. Because let's cause in a scenario like this where a client says, hey, what do you think about admin in a second blank day, right? Yeah. And I explain it to them like this. Like, okay, let's say your, your, your recovery is 100. You have 100 points towards recovery, right? And your leg day takes up 20 points and your chest and whatever shoulder day takes up 22 points and and i kind of do the math form right and i just come up with arbitrary numbers i'm like so now you're asking to throw in another day where are those points for recovery going to come from yeah if like your recovery it. has to be 100 like percent. and i even say look adding peds to the mix let's say you get a bonus you get you get to go up to 120 points because we're adding ped to the mix so maybe your body can can accomplish recovery with a little more volume and frequency but there's a limit to it, right? And once you start dipping in, uh, once you start taking points away, or you get, you know, past that 100 or 120, now you're in the red, and now you're eating into the recovery for one of those other body parts, if not all of them, and you're slowly, slowly, kind of chinking away at the muscle instead of building it up. And I think usually when I describe it like that, people are like, uh, "I'll just stick to my four or five days that I'm doing." Yeah. Yeah. Is this a Menser reference? Seriously. No, did he describe no. it like because that? No. It, what he does with cardio. Does he? And it's okay. it's something that was recently brought to my attention. And I, and I was a little embarrassed because I should I'm an old old head. I I should know more about Menser and, and Garanda's training than I I think I know quite a bit about Garanda's training. He was actually decades ahead of his time. It's it's unfortunate that some of his principles and the things he was advocating for were literally too soon. People did not want to get on board the twenty four seven rule, um, or I'm sorry, um, twenty one seven, where you, where you would train for three weeks and you would not train at all for one week. I mean, as early as twenty years ago, that wasn't going to fly. No one was going to do that. I mean, I people came unglued on me when maybe not unglued. Um, but they didn't like the idea of the one week on one week off training either. It was very out there. So <clears throat> Menser would say that your cardio also tapped into those hundred points yeah. as well. And oh, I like that. I, I do like mm-hmm. that. I understand there's the argument for low intensity and neat and everything, but when you get into cardio, I, I think there's something to be said there. It's along the lines of calf training and prep. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody needs to do as much calf training and prep if their cardio is high, depending on the amount or the type of cardio that they're actually doing. If you're walking on a treadmill or you're doing stairs, um, things like that, your calf training is going to have to, it it doesn't have to, but it can come down because you're literally hitting your calves pretty good and pumping them up almost every time you do cardio. I'll stop there because there's a a rabbit hole to go down. I use the (laughs) cup of water analogy. Same thing. You know what I mean? 
same thing. Like if this is if we're doing in the the place I we've talked about it before has been guys that love training legs. You remember this conversation? Guys who love training legs, they have awesome legs and they want to grow their upper bodies. But every time they go in the gym, they spend two hours on leg day. You know what I mean? Every week. And mm-hmm. it's like that's mm-hmm. half of your recovery right there. Now you gotta split up everything mm-hmm. else through the the rest. Um there was something else I was going to mention uh, related to all this. I I forget what it was though. I'll, I, we had a couple more though, so I and and just while you're looking for that, let me just say this: a good topic in the future is going to be the amount of time for a training session. Oh, hmm. yeah, that's a hmm. good one. And you know what? Because else? I, I love to argue against two. Everyone is so against two hour arm or two hour training sessions and i to me that's like whoa i don't know about those time parameters but that just a topic idea because you said that it could be a good one two hours on a leg day when you're trying to not you know grow legs is what i you know what i mean that's what i'm saying oh yeah 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 Yeah, we used to do three hour leg days which were yeah probably too much but i wouldn't trade that you know what i mean you had a group of how many guys were in your group sometimes it was just a couple people you know, but yeah, but you you have two other guys and you're doing some heavy duty stuff. It takes a little while for all the warm ups. So yeah. I think that's completely appropriate. If you have two other strong guys with you and let's say you're doing squats. Well, if I'm doing any type of squat, we're doing like four or five warm up sets before we even get to a work. Oh, week. yeah. And they're not yeah. they're not, you know, 12, 15 rep sets. They're 10 reps, eight reps, four reps, four reps, you know, maybe five. Just just to acclimate to get to the working weight, make sure, hey, we're in business today. We can do this before we get to our working weight. You know, I don't think that three hours for three guys is out of the ordinary at all. If you're really training legs, you know, I, I would actually question guys that say, oh, you can get in and out of the gym and train legs hard in an hour and a half. It's like that's where right? I was going or even 45 or 60 45 minutes. minutes. Like, how do you, no. how do, you do that? No. How, unless you're DC no. training and you're young and you can warm up. Fat, I don't know what you're getting out of that. I don't know how you're doing that. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Um, I remembered what I was going to say, though, was the we we kind of I think we mentioned it, but not a lot. The guys question about push pull legs plus doing additional arm work though. We didn't really go over the, the way I explain it to people at least is to just break it down that every time you're doing a chest workout, you're training your triceps Any kind of compound movement you're doing for chest, you're activating your triceps. So if you're, if you're pushing super hard, doing the heaviest thing you've ever done, your triceps are going to get so much work out of that. And then from there, you're going to go to your shoulder work and any of your overhead press work, you're training your triceps. So now we've done probably a couple exercises for chest. Now we're doing a, you know, a, a shoulder exercise and now we're going to do some direct tricep work. And now we're going to come back and do a pull day and every single thing you do, you're going to be activating your biceps almost, you know, and then you're going to directly train biceps and then you're going to come back and train legs and hit arms again. I think when we, when I tell people it that way, then they'll, once again, like you said, Andrew, with your analogy, people just say, oh, yeah, I guess I'll stick with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I also just don't, unless you're a wellness athlete, I don't like to train upper and lower body together. I just don't like sending the blood from one spot to the next spot. You know, yeah. wellness athletes that are training, they're training their glute in, in bikini that are training glutes three to four times a week Some in some cases. Yeah. Okay, you want to add in, you know, um, some rear delts at the end of, of one of the glute days or you want to add in some buy and try. Yeah, I think that's appropriate. But if you're a guy and you're trying to gain maximum muscle development in all tissues, I just don't think that's a great strategy. Mm-hmm. 
All right. How about this one? Um, Dan has one for us. He says, um, started trend for the first time. 50 milligrams Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I feel like food cravings have become impossible to control. This was my second show. Um, plan, uh, plan was three weeks on. I've dieted very long, so possibly it's something else, but I don't know if I can make the next few weeks like this, especially with uh, my high with especially with my high day. Carbs are making me ravenously hungry. Uh, is this normal on trend? And then he says, background, I did my first show last month. He's new to using gear um, and he's trained for a long time, um, trying to push five weeks into another show, but it's been hard. Also, I lost about 50 pounds for this past show. I've been dieting almost a year. Might be time to move on and grow. It brings up a question, and that is, has your, you said four weeks from the last show, have your calories been increasing and your carbs been increasing, and that's the trigger, and it's not the trend? I'm not going to say that you don't start exactly. I'm not going to say, I'm a, I want the guy to know, it's not like you can't add a compound and it can it can have an impact. I'm not going to say that it's not. I'm That's not my go-to. I want to know what you're doing with the diet first and if you've done anything because that time frame, you will get hungry adding calories mm -hmm. and, and especially carbs. You're going to rip through them like nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing I also, you know, how bad do you want it? Because, mm -hmm. I, I mean, we all, every bodybuilder that's competed and gotten to true contest shape has had cravings. And they've had cravings for three, four, five weeks leading up to that if they got into true contest shape. And yeah. I think... I think it's just the mental wall you got to build that says, no, like that's, I'm not even going to think about my cravings. I'm literally, I'm a machine these last four or five weeks because I want to beat my previous best, which was, you know, three, four weeks ago at the previous show. I want to come in rock hard, larger, yeah. fuller, rounder. And I think you should have cravings for that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I know some mm -hmm. people are different, but for me, like my craving was always like, I just want to look better. I don't care if I have to go outside and dig up dirt and eat dirt. Like, I don't care if I have to eat nothing. Like, I don't care how my stomach feels. I don't care how my appetite is. And I know some people have a harder time with that. And it comes down to the brain chemistry and the neuro neuropeptides that are going on in our brains. But, you know, it could be maybe he just needs a little serotonin. You know, maybe he needs to add some 5-HTP to kind of help balance him out a little bit so he stops having those cravings, you know. Or it could be the trend. Who knows? And maybe he didn't have those cravings when it was four or five weeks before the show because of the psychological programming. But now that he's coming off and those calories are getting added in, he may, if you don't anticipate that hunger, it can slap you upside your, your face pretty good. If you, if you, you're not a experienced competitor or you haven't competed in a long time, it's throwing, I mean, to say carbs and calories is like throwing gas on a fire it's a gross understatement you have to know what's coming because it'll it'll knock you for one <laughs> yeah it's i agree with you guys both um all right that's all we had for this show that's it guys we need questions for the next episode i will ask you a question it's it's not uh it's past halloween now but i asked ron and dusty this one um what iconic like horror film bad guy do you think that you could take on it and beat? Well, if I was running away from Jason, I would not, I would not trip 
over and over. I would pay more attention to my feet and I would yeah. make sure that I yeah. didn't that I didn't trip so I wouldn't have to take him on. I'm not a horror uh film kind of guy. My wife and my family, the, all the kids, they razz me because they say that the movies scare me so I don't want to watch them. When in, reality, <laughs> when in reality, they're just so stupid to me and so predictable <laughs> that they're not doing anything logical to get away. Yeah. So I can find something different to do for two hours. There, there's literally a commercial about that. Um, was it a car? Yeah, I think it's one of the Geico commercials. <laughs> yeah, we're, isn't it, it's the Texas isn't it? Chainsaw Massacre, and yeah. they're like, "Yeah, it's Texas Chainsaw," and they're like, "No, we need to go hide behind all these knives." And it's like, "Why don't we just take the car that's running right there?" And they're like, "No, that would be stupid." <laughs> like, it's, it, yeah, and I agree with you, Skip. All these horror movies, you can break them down into. All like, right, well, we're gonna have some fun leave. with this one. We're gonna have some fun with this <laughs> one. I insist. Too. I insist we have fun on this show. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, what did uh, uh so ron said that he could possibly beat freddy krueger in a dream like outsmart him in some way you know what i mean okay, so okay. who are who do we have here we've got so of course there's freddy there's jason there's michael myers those are three of the mm -hmm. the big ones right um okay who are who, who else what am i missing that, here what, what about that scream guy <laughs> <laughs> remember those three yeah. movies With the mask, yeah. wasn't he just like a normal guy yeah yeah i would just hit him upside the head and like be done with it you know yeah. um the other bad guys man i think you all the all the all the major ones i'm with skip i don't watch a lot of horror movies rachel they scare rachel so I yeah we don't either for the same reason victoria years. doesn't like them victoria maybe, doesn't maybe like rachel yeah. isn't scared maybe she just thinks they're dumb <laughs> no, she, she'll, tell, she'll tell you that, that she has bad dreams and then she wakes me oh, up too okay. when she has to go to the bathroom right. at night and I have to like watch her while she goes to the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> all right that's cute <laughs> well I didn't answer it but I you know I'm the host so I like I'm just asking the questions I, I didn't need to I was I was putting you yeah. guys on the spot with that one um I would anyway. just shoot them all yeah that's I would shoot them all. Exactly. Like, why don't they have Keep a gun distance. you know they all oh, they live in blue states that's why Oh, yeah, that's it, the problem. It's like with zombies, you can't shoot them. And why is it that every zombie has a bad leg? Why is that? They have to drag a leg behind them. <laughs> when you die and turn into a zombie, you have a bad leg. I've never understood that. It's their one crutch, their, their Achilles heel. If you were turned into yeah. a vampire, you would remain jacked, Skip. So there is that. If you got turned into a vampire, you would stay the way you are now forever. I know, but I couldn't be that white and that pale. I think we all know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's just odd. That would be my hell right there. If God exists and there's a hell, it's me being a vampire with really pale skin. <laughs> or them That's catching it. you when you, like, after you got injured and you stopped training for a few months, you would get turned right. at that point. Not when you were in your well, Then I would have ever. a bad leg because I had a torn glute. Maybe that's oh. what they had. I, maybe that's a zombie maybe thing. Maybe that's your, it. Your glutes care. I don't know. You guys need to leave us questions for the next episode. So comment below on YouTube and comments, likes, all that stuff. It helps to boost our programming in the algorithm. Um, we shall be back with a bunch more. Of course, of course, go to bodyberry.com to reach out to Andrew for coaching and teamskip.com. You can reach out to Skip over there. McNallyDiets at gmail.com. And of course, check out our sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK and supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. Thank you to everybody from Patreon. A couple of those questions were from Patreon there. Comment over on Patreon. 
Again, you guys get priority. And uh, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you soon. Thank <laughs> you.